Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. As the kiddos are heading out, uh, the rest of you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts 17. Well, good morning, church. Good to be here with you all. I wonder, have you ever uh, told someone something and they looked like they were listening? They looked like they heard you and uh, they were even nodding their head. Yeah, I I get you. But later on, it was very obvious that they didn't listen to you at all. Uh, I know when I'm doing something, especially watching funny videos on my phone, uh, my family knows uh, if, if I am not making eye contact with you, if I am saying, yes, I'm listening, even if I'm nodding along with what you're saying, I have no clue uh, what you're saying. Um, I'm not listening. I'm hearing words, but I'm not listening at all. Uh, and that's pretty descriptive of a lot of times and many on Sunday morning. Uh, We sit in church, we sit in a service, we hear a sermon, um, we uh, hear the reading of the word, but we're really not listening at times. That's about as far as it goes. We heard it, we know he said something about Jesus more than likely, we've been in Acts, so I'm pretty sure we're there, Um, but uh, we have failed to listen. But what we see in our text today the word has two things. The power, or the word of God has the power to either soften our heart or harden our heart. So the word is either going to start making us look like Jesus, or it's going to cause us to double down in rebellion. Now, each time we come to the scripture, uh, we're either going to accept it and say, yes, um, I see what the Lord is doing, I see what he is saying, and it's going to start changing us, it, sometimes at a millimeter at a time, sometimes it changes drastically, but it will change us, or it'll harden us, and we will reject it, and it, we will look less and less like Christ. So as we continue on in Acts, we're in the second missionary journey going through um, Paul's missionary journey. He's traveling with Silas, if you remember. He's also traveling with Timothy, uh, and they are going around. We just left Philippi, and now we are traveling down to these other countries that are hard to say, Amphipolis and Apollina, and uh, they come to Thessalonica. And what they do, how they begin their journey, they're continuing to speak the gospel. So we saw last week, uh, we talked about five areas, five situations we need to speak the gospel into. We always need to be ready to speak the gospel to people in many different situations, in our situations. And now we need to ask the question, what does it actually look like to speak the gospel? So first... We have to go. Look at the text. Acts 17, verse 1. Now they passed through Amphipolis and Apollina, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. This is about a hundred mile trip that they made from the last place. If you remember, they were in uh, Philippi and they were asked to leave and now they're traveling down about a hundred miles later. They get to Thessalonica. But we see we need to go. And I know, 
It feels like I repeat myself every Sunday uh, that I say, we need to go. We need to speak the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. But until Jesus returns, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to remind you every Sunday that we are called to go. We are called, our purpose is to advance the kingdom of God until Jesus returns. We are called to participate in setting captives free. That's what we are to do. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. So I will continue to remind you that. But we have to remember, how do we go? First, we have to go by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as I've quoted every week since week one in Acts we have to go by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. We should be waking up every morning and we should be praying, Lord, help me advance the gospel. Help me advance the kingdom today by your power, the power of the Holy Spirit. You have given me your spirit. You have called me to do this. I don't want to at times. I'm tired at times, but you are saying you will help me do this, so please help me do this today. Put it on your bathroom mirror if you can't remember to pray that prayer. Put it over your phone so that before you check Instagram or email or the news, trust me, you don't want to start your day with the news. You start with this so that you say, Lord, this is, this is what I want to do. This is what you've called me to do. And then second, we go by obeying our calling. We are, we are all called we're called to go. We're called to go to school, maybe, to work, to the store, your friends, your family. Um, as you've heard, in, uh, as you head into your week, you are to go and say, Lord, this is the mission field you've placed me. Will you show me, will you open my eyes how to share the gospel? Will you help me? Will you give me the words to say? This is the very place that you have placed me so that I can share your love and your gospel to the people around me. And understand that it's going to take some time. It's not always easy. So look at verse 2. As Paul goes into the synagogue in Thessalonica, as was his custom, On three days, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Almost a month, he's there reasoning with the Thessalonians. He's telling them the gospel. He's explaining to them. He's proving to them that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah who is promised, who came In our own lives, we need to understand that we're not always just going to share the gospel one time and people will be like, oh, thank you. I have been waiting to hear that message and I receive it. A lot of times we have many, many conversations about the gospel. We wrestle with people through the gospel because we are challenging a mindset that they have. We're challenging a worldview that they've adapted We're calling someone to die to themselves and follow Christ. That is not an easy conversation to have. It takes patience. It takes being devoted to having that conversation with that person over and over and over and over patiently. I had this conversation um, when I was in South Korea 
I had a friend, we were really good friends, Uh, we worked together, and we would talk about the Lord, and we would talk about the Bible, and we would do that until he got too drunk to really reason with, and then he would go to bed, and I would go to bed, and then we'd start over the next day. Whole year, we did this, and he was still as much an atheist when I left as he was when we began. Ten years later, we just got here. We, uh, I get a phone call randomly from him, and he says, Greg, I just want you to know I've been thinking about all these conversations that we've had. What are you talking about? I haven't talked to you in 10 years. We haven't talked about this. He said, I want you to know I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I still struggle with some things, but I do believe. So we need to continue having these conversations, and we just trust that the Lord will use them as he will. So as we have those conversations, though, we reason from Scripture. Look at the, look at the text. Verse 2, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead. He's saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. The scriptures are the authority from which we speak. Not, it's the word of God that we, were, we are relying on. We are taking the word of God to people. And we're not just saying, here's a really cool alternative to what you think. We're saying, this is the word of God. It is powerful. It is life-breathing. We're not relying on our own wisdom. We're not relying on our reason. We're relying on, this is what God gave us to spread out to other people. And we speak the scriptures gently. They're not, a, they're not a battering ram to knock down someone's door. We're not trying to scare people into hell. We're not trying to win an argument against them. I've seen too many come to this passage and say, oh, this is, a, this is permission for me to argue the gospel. Listen to what Paul says about this engagement as he talks about his time with the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own selves because you had become very dear to us. In this short time frame, he loves these people and he wants to gently tell them the gospel and share the gospel with them. He goes on using that same imagery of a, a mother and father. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Church, we speak from the authority of Scripture with the understanding that God's word and his spirit will activate the heart. We don't need to beat someone over the head with it. We don't need to be forceful. We can patiently and gently present the faith so that people can come to know Jesus. We just trust in his action. And we preach Christ's church. That's what we preach. We preach Jesus crucified 
Paul goes on, he says, he explains and he proves it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and was saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He, he's saying he is the one we've been waiting for. He is the, the Messiah that the, all of scripture has been pointing toward this one figure who's coming and that, he says, is Jesus Christ, the one who was just suffered and died and was raised. He says it was necessary for him to do so. It was necessary for him to suffer. It was necessary for him to come and fulfill the role of the suffering servant that we see in Isaiah 50, verse six. He's in a lot of Isaiah. I'm just gonna give you a few examples. He says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And Jesus comes and fulfills that. And Isaiah 53, he was despised and he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The suffering servant that we see in Psalm 22, for dogs encompassed me. A company of evildoers encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And my, for my clothing, they cast lots. This is Jesus. He fulfills this role. It was necessary for him to be made like us in our suffering so that he could become the faithful high priest, so that in your suffering, you could say, I'm gonna go to the savior that became like me to redeem me out of this suffering. Not, that, not a, a savior that is away from suffering, not one who doesn't care about suffering, one that has never suffered, but he put on flesh so that he could suffer, so that when we go to him, we know he understands. Pouring out our sufferings to him and saying, Lord, help me. He says, I am. I'm redeeming you out of this. It was necessary for him to enter into fallen humanity, into our situation so that he could destroy the works of Satan on the cross. That's what we preach, that Christ became like us. No other religion preaches that. No other religion says God came down and became like you. They all say, work your way up to him. No, he put on flesh and suffered and died. And we preach the necessity of Christ's resurrection. I'll just let Paul do it. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching's in vain and our faith is in vain. You think it doesn't matter. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, everything we're saying is foolishness. We'd be found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it was true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But he says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. It was necessary for Christ to be raised so that we could be raised. We, we say in baptism, you were buried with Christ in your baptism. You were raised to walk in the newness of life. We are new creations when we come to the Lord because Jesus was raised from the dead. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are set free, church. The entire gospel is preached from the Old to the New Testament. It was intended to bring people to repentance so that we would proclaim Jesus Christ, that we would turn from our dead ways and live for him. And we're to bring people to Jesus saying this message, proclaiming this message. Jesus came to you in your suffering. He died for you. He suffered for you. He was raised for you so that you could be a child of the king, so that you could be made new. And as you teach this, as you preach, as you proclaim the gospel to those around you, don't get discouraged. Often you will hear, no, thank you. I'm not interested. I've heard all of that already. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're sent off. The crowd, the Jews come, they rile up the crowd and they have to flee by night. It's not the first time Paul's had to leave at night. He describes this in his letter to the Thessalonians. He says, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face and face. He says, he says we were torn away from you by the works of Satan, is what he says the next, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. He says, I wanted to minister to you. Satan continued to hinder us. But he doesn't just give up. He doesn't say, so we just gave up on you. He keeps preaching the gospel. Look in verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue and they just kept doing what they were doing. They just kept sharing the word. And then they're run out of there too. And then they continue to share the gospel. Vince Lombardi, he, he famously said, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down, we've all heard this, but how many times you get up. That's great for football. But believer, sharing the gospel, you have to realize the power to get back up is not yours. You're not gonna just keep getting back up. You will give up. But the spirit in you will not. He's the one that keeps dragging you back. He's the one that Paul is able to get stoned outside, left for dead, outside the gate, and he can come back into the city and proclaim the gospel. And he doesn't get discouraged. Why? He tells us in Philippians, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's not relying on his own strength. 
He's relying on the strength of Christ in him. And we speak the gospel to everyone. The gospel is for the Jew and the Gentile. We see in verse 4 that some of them were persuaded that was the Jews and a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And we see it again in verse 12. Many of them therefore believed, not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. We preach to everyone. The gospel is for the rich and the poor. It's for the addict and the sober because Jesus has the power to save to the uttermost. And as you go, trust in the power of the word of God. Trust in him to move. And I just want you to notice the responses. As they go, they proclaim. In verse four, some come and they believe, they're persuaded and they join Paul and Silas. Verse 12, therefore, many of them therefore believe. Hearts are set free. They proclaim the gospel and people come to know Jesus. At the moment of, excuse me, I'm gonna skip through a few of these slides. At the moment of belief, a dead person is made alive. God says, I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone, that rebellious heart that only heard the gospel and rejected it, and I will give them a heart of flesh. That is the single greatest miracle we could ever experience. We could see healing. We could see uh, sick being made well, but someone who comes to know Jesus is dead being made alive forever. But we also see not only do people come to believe, but hearts are hardened Verse five, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Jason has received them. They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. We see them come after them in verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica, remember Paul goes to Berea, and then when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word was being proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. The gospel is attacked by those who reject it. Those hearts are hardened toward God. They're hardened toward his message. This is why we see in 1 Peter 2.8, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. We see this in Pharaoh. God sends Moses. He sends him as a representative of God. He speaks the word of God to him and Pharaoh's heart is just hardened and he attacks God's people. 
And this is the effect of God's word because a hard heart is one that is in open rebellion against God, refusing to listen to him, refusing to obey him, refusing to submit to him. And like Pharaoh attacking the gospel and attacking God's people. As the gospel is preached, they excite the crowd, they become jealous and they form a mob and they attack. They hear it's being preached in another town and they go to that town and they excite a mob and they attack. There's a lot of this in America today. There's a lot of this around the world today. We preach Jesus is the only way of salvation and we're told that's intolerant. We preach that life is precious and the lost redefine what life means and we're called bigots. We preach, obey the Lord, and and the lost preaches, don't listen to that, do what you want. We have to be aware of this. But we also should pray in faith that the Lord will take their hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. Hearts that are bent on rebelling. Hearts that are curved inward towards self-desire and self-gratification and turn them into hearts of flesh that love the Lord, that become champions of the gospel. But to do all of this speaking the gospel, we have to actually know how to hear it. We have to know how to hear the gospel. There are at least two ways that we can hear something. One, audibly, we can hear someone say something and not really listen. This is why parents, as, as a parent, I know I say, did you hear me? And I don't mean, did you audibly hear my voice? I mean, did you understand what I've asked of you? Um, I told you to do this. I know you heard me audibly, but did you actually hear me? A good example of this is our announcements. On Sunday morning, Tim stands up here. He tells us what's going on, and a lot of us, we hear it, but a lot of times we're thinking about the restroom or lunch or something else, and we're not really hearing the announcement, right? So then when the event happens and we say, I didn't hear about this event, the truth is you heard about the event. You were just, you had to go potty instead. (laughs) You weren't really listening. You were distracted, The second way to hear, that's not hearing, that's just being in the vicinity of noise. The second way to hear is to actively listen. The words Paul used for reasoning and explaining and proving, they all point to dialogue. He's he's having a dialogue with those in Thessalonica. So they're actively listening to what he is saying. They're engaged in what he is saying. So how do we do that? How do we actively listen to the word of God? In a sermon like this morning, how do you actively listen? First, you expect that God is going to speak when you walk in here. If we're preaching from the word of God, uh, God is going to speak. So pray before the sermon begins, Lord, I know you're going to speak. Would you, by your spirit, help me understand what is happening in your word? Eliminate distractions if you're using a phone for your Bible, that's, that's cool. We live in uh, the 21st century. Put it on do not disturb because there's a thousand things pining for your attention. Write down what you need to do later. I got to pull weeds today. I know everybody's excited about pulling weeds today. 
good weather. I'm going to the beach. Write it down. You won't forget it. And then listen. Let it go. Engage the text. That's why I'm constantly saying, have a Bible. Look at the text. Look at the text. Look at the text. I write it in my notes so that I remember to tell you to look at the text. Because I want you to see the word of God. I want you to see this is what we are doing. This is, we are looking at the word. We're analyzing it. We're learning how to read it. I want you in the word with me, pondering, thinking. Pray throughout the sermon. Not, Lord, help him to hurry up. But, Lord, help me to understand. Take basic notes. Write down questions you have. We saw all that happen. Uh, we saw that they're listening. They're engaged in what Paul is doing. And we see the beauty, the fruit that some believed in Jesus Christ. And many Greeks believed. And I believe Luke is purposefully contrasting or comparing uh, Thessalonica with Berea here. He's showing us two responses to hearing the word preached. One, they're listening, and some do come, and they do hear the, the word, and they do believe. But look at verses 10 and 11. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue, just like Thessalonica. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. The noble character that he's talking about here, it means they were, they were tolerant, they were open to listening what they had to say. They didn't think, we have this all figured out already, you're not telling us anything new. They're saying, they're allowing, they're not... Excuse me, they're not allowing their prejudice to, to clear or cloud their judgment. They're eager to hear what he has to say. They're excited about what he has to say. So not only do they hear the word, the text says they receive it. They take it home. They analyze it. They, they talk to each other about it. They ask questions of Paul. And this is what we should be doing. Don't just take my word for it. On Sunday morning, what I say, I've been cooking at youth camp for two weeks. I'm tired. I might say something weird. But take the word home and test it. Is this true? Is what he's saying aligning with the text? That's why I write questions for you in the bulletin. Not this week, I know. I'm sorry, small group leaders. I want you to dig into the text. I don't want you leaving here thinking, not thinking about the text again. I don't want you leaving here thinking, well, that was, that was cool. Um, what are we having for lunch? And that's it. Take it to lunch with you. Analyze it. Discuss it together. Wrestle with it tonight with your family. You should be praying and asking, how do I apply this to my life? Don't come into church or to your Bible thinking, I know what this text has to say. I've already got this figured out. Come expecting to encounter the word of God, for it to change you. It's living and active. It's the word of the eternal king. And just quickly, I want us to look and think about the parable of the sower. Everyone in the parable of the sower, they 
hear the word, the seed is spread out, they hear it, there's four responses. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. But they heard the word. Two, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. In the time of testing, they fall away. Three, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear the word, But as they go on their way, they're choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And then finally, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hear the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. What does your engagement with the text expose about the soil of your heart? What does it say about who or how you are receiving the word? If you're in here and you're an unbeliever this morning, um, the, the ones in Thessalonica, the ones in Berea were an unbeliever in the sense that they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. But if you're here and you don't believe that Jesus is the Savior, analyze what I'm saying. Go to the word, read it, ask questions of it. Ask me questions, I would love to answer them, but I'm just gonna point you back to the word. Challenge what I say, and I'm convinced that the word of God has power to change your heart. But also understand that it can harden your heart. We see that in the text, we see that in the gospel, over and over, they continue in rebellion, We see uh, this is those who come to church week in and week out, but they continue on living however they want to do, whatever they want to do, doing what they want to do. Don't be fooled into thinking being at church makes you a better Christian. We're held accountable for what we hear. We hear this, we know what we're supposed to do, and we're supposed to do it. So church, by the power of Jesus Christ, take the word seriously. Be, like a, be a believer like those in Thessalonica. They came, they heard the message, and some believed. Come to church expecting to hear the word of God. Be a believer like a Berean, open to hearing the word of God, analyzing the word of God, not thinking you have it all figured out, but that you can constantly grow, receive the word, dig deeply. I have this handout. It's outside in the foyer on the little table. It says Ransom Bible Study Method. I want you to pick them up. Pick one up, and it's going to help you study the Word of God. Ransom stands for read. You read the Word over and over and over. You analyze it. You circle. You highlight. You diagram if you like to do that kind of thing. Look at phrases. Cross-reference verses. Note Write down main ideas. What is God saying here? What, is, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about Jesus? What does this tell me about myself? Summarize it. Obey it. Actually do it. Write down, what am I going to do? Specifically, what am I going to do and when am I going to do it? And then meditate on it. Not empty your mind like Eastern meditation, but fill it with the word of God. 
Chew on it. Think about it all day long. This is what I read this morning. And don't think, what did I read this morning? By noon, you're like, I can't even remember what book I was in. Remember it. Read it. Think about it. Write about it. Pray it. And look at the effects compared to Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, some believe. In Berea, many believe. And this continues through our life as believers. We keep receiving the word. We keep growing in the word. Many times we just hear it Sunday and forget. We need to continue to dig down, engage, invest, apply. But may we not be found fighting the gospel. Fighting against the message of the gospel is just part of what happens. Jesus says, they persecuted me they will persecute you. It's just part of what happens as we preach the offensive gospel to the world around us. They will fight against it. But what I want you to do, church, is ask, am I fighting against the gospel? In your own life, are you living in rebellion against the gospel? If so, repent. Because a rebellious life is speaking against God. It's not a testimony of the gospel. Are you trying to live the the Christian life on your own? Then repent and say, Lord, I need your help. I keep trying to do this on my own. I need you to help me do this. Have you stopped coming to church regularly? Have you stopped discipling people or being discipled? Have you stopped reading your Bible? Then repent and turn around and follow the Lord. Stop fighting against the gospel and embrace the grace of God poured out on you through the word this morning. And don't fight other churches. I think too often churches, they, we see other churches as against us. But what if we started working together with other churches for the gospel? And those who are rejecting, uh, rejecting Jesus as king are also fighting against the gospel. We see, they say um, in verse 7, They uh, are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. They're saying there's another king, Jesus. This is the same thing they bring against Jesus. They're saying the Jews at that time of the crucifixion say, we have no king but Caesar. These Jews are saying the same thing. They are coming against Caesar, our king. The unbeliever has rejected Jesus as king. A believer, have you rejected Jesus as king over your life? Are you asking him to be your savior, but rejecting him as Lord? Do you want him to save you from hell, but you refuse to obey his commandments? If so, you're fighting against the gospel. He's changing your heart. He wants to make you look like him. Repent and turn back to the cross. Finally, some fight against the gospel out of just out of the fear of losing influence or funding. Here we see that they're coming after them because many, we see in the text, many Greeks are turning to the Lord and they're leaving the synagogues and they were the financial backing of many synagogues. They were greatly, Jews were greatly funded by the Gentile converts. I'm sad to say that there are churches today that will not preach hell, will not preach sin, will not preach wrath because we're afraid of turning people away. We have to preach Christ. He's the king, no one else. 
Our Father owns all things. We're not worried about Him providing for us. He promises to do so. I fear many churches fight other churches for this very reason. Really just wanting bigger churches, bigger budgets, more popularity. May we never fight against others doing the same work, but lift them up in prayer, lift them up in support, participate with them. If you're an unbeliever this morning, I want you to know that Jesus came to earth, that he put on flesh so that he could suffer from you, for you, from you, so that he could die in your place, so that he could defeat sin in your life, that he could set you free from all the false promises that sin offers you. All that you're looking for in this life will never provide satisfaction. Every bit of it will fall short. All promises, they all promise glory, they promise happiness, but they're empty promises. But Jesus came to give you life and life to the fullest. Hear the word of God this morning and receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Believer, if you are called to speak the gospel and hear the gospel, you're called to live for the king. Be creatures of the word. Church, may we be like the Bereans who take the word of God seriously, who test it, who embrace it, who apply it. Get in a small group. If you're not in a small group, study the word. Gather with one person or two people and study the word. Dig deeply for the word of God is precious and life-giving. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithful servants who have gone before us and have proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you give us your spirit so that we can speak the gospel. I thank you for your word uh, and the spirit so that we can hear your word and we can grow to look like Jesus. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that, that every one of us would take the word seriously. That we wouldn't just come to fulfill an obligation to read so that we can clear a checklist, but we would dig deeply because you promise that your word gives life. It gives life to the unbeliever. It continues to give life to us for all eternity. We thank you for your precious gift. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ. <laughs>